0: Praise God. Well, I am, again, thrilled to be here. My name is Marcus Ellington, and I have such a privilege to be what we call our next-gen pastor here at Grace Covenant Church. And uh, I, like to, I like to reiterate this over and over. The next-gen pastor simply has the privilege of partnering with our kids' pastors, youth pastors, and our young adult pastors to see a discipleship pipeline created in Grace Covenant where we see the next generation raised up to follow Jesus. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen, amen. I think I have the dream job in the church. I mean, it's just my thought, but uh, Pastor Zach, you may differ in opinion with that one, but the truth is, I think so. Hey, uh, is anybody excited about the Word of God today? Yes. But before we get in the Word, I want to ask you this. Did you hear Pastor Zach's message last week about the tongue? <laughs> oh, my goodness. James, James pulls no punches, huh? Like He's laying it all out there, extremely practical, and giving us opportunity to, to really check our hearts and see what is it that God would be saying to us as far as our behavior as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And I tell you, I was listening to Pastor Zach's message last week, and I just thought, man, this is so good, so powerful, this is so convicting. How many of you by a show of hands thought, man, that was, that was exactly what my neighbor needed to hear? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> Yeah, 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 I get it. (laughs) No, there were some things I just thought, ouch, Lord, thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the power of your word to show me areas in my life where I need to tighten some things up. So just take the time and submit that to him. And if there's sin there, I confess those things as sin and let him forgive me and wash me. And then I go forward saying, all right, by the power of your spirit, help me to control, not my tongue, my heart, my heart. Whatever needs to be cleaned up in there, Lord, please clean it. So that my mouth speaks right things, amen? Amen. amen. Well, we're going to dive into James chapter 4 today, continuing in our series on the book of James. It's been so rich so far, and my hope and prayer is that it's going to continue to be today. Let me ask you to stand on your feet with me. We're going to read James chapter 4. We're going to read just the first three verses, verses 1 through 3. They're going to pop up there on the screen, and we can read out loud and loudly together. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, ending at verse 3. Ready? Ready? Read, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures let's bow our heads and pray this morning glorious god we say thank you thank you for another day for waking each of us up this morning whether we're here in person or online we take the time now simply to open our hearts to sit at your feet and allow you to minister to us through your word Lord, we receive what you may have for us, encouragement, instruction, direction, whatever it may be. Have your way, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. James jumps right in in chapter number four, and he starts off with a topic that seems a bit controversial. He says here, he said, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Another translation says it this way. It says, what is the source of fights and quarrels among you? I love this because James is saying, let's get down to it. What is causing the issue here? Why is there fighting and quarreling amongst the people of God? What is the source of these fights and quarrels? And then he answers the question by saying, by asking another, he says, don't they come or isn't the source your desires that battle within you. How many of you know we all have desires? Every single one of us have things that we want to see done or things that we want to happen. We have these things that, if we're not careful, can begin to lead our lives instead of us being led by the Spirit. Our passions and desires begin to drive or be in the driver's seat when, in fact, God is wanting to do so. And James is saying the reason he's, as he's addressing this church, the reason that there are quarrels and fights is because these desires that are contained within you is what's causing it. That's the source. This word desire here simply means natural fleshly desires or cravings, a longing for something that is forbidden. One commentator said it's simply seeking pleasure at the expense of others. James says, what is the source of the fights and the quarrels among you? It's simply the desires that battle within you. Now, I don't know about you, but I know in my life, I I feel that battle sometime. There are things and I feel like inside there's an internal struggle going on where I know what the Word of God says to do, But then my flesh is on the other hand saying, yeah, yeah, but I want this. It reminds me of the apostle Paul as he's writing in Romans chapter seven and he's going back and forth and he almost seems like he's out of his mind because he's saying the things I want to do, I do not do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. There's a battle that takes place inside and the battle is our own fleshly, earthly desires versus the things of God. Pastor Zach touched on James chapter one a few weeks ago. And uh, one of the verses there I thought was key for us to highlight today, verse number 13, exactly uh, here, I'll say it this way, verse 13 and 14, he says this, James speaking, he says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Listen to this, verse 14, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Anybody in this room like to go fishing? Got a few fishermen? Yeah, yeah. My son and I love to go fishing. I've told you that before. It's it's one of our our favorite pastimes, just to get out on the water and and see what we can catch. But how many of you know when you're actually fishing and you're intending to catch a certain type of fish, there's certain type of baits that you use to attract that type of fish? Now, if you're fishing for catfish, there are certain things that catfish like more than other fish. But catfish will primarily eat anything. So you can pretty much throw anything out there. And you may catch a catfish. But if you're fishing for trout, if you're fishing for salmon, if you're fishing for bass, there's different ways you go about catching these fish. Well, it's very similar to our life. Think about what James says. When someone is tempted, let them not say they're tempted by God. But each one of us is tempted when? When we are enticed by our own desires and drawn away. It's just like fishing. You, you put a specific bait out there. And the fish that likes that specific type of bait is then tempted to bite. The problem is when the fish bites, they have no clue that on the other end of that, what looks like a delicious morsel, is actually a set of hooks, a line, a reel, and a very happy fisherman. The truth of the matter is that's a dangerous bite. Though they desired the bait, the bait led them potentially to death. Unless you're like me, you catch and release. I was talking to a guy this past weekend and I told him I'm a catch and release fisherman and he laughed at me. I said, listen, if I want some good fish, I'll go to the store and buy some. (laughs) Just like these fish that are tempted by their own desires, we also have desires inside of us that are pulling at us. And if we're not careful, we take the bait. And oftentimes the bait leads to death. So James is saying, he's circling or packaging this all in and saying, why is there quarrels and fights among the people of God? Is it not because your own desires are leading the way? Listen to what he says in verse number two. He goes on to say, You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. Notice he says you desire, but it's a different Greek word desire here. He doesn't use the same word. He says you desire, this word desire is set your heart and your mind on something. So you set your heart and your mind on this, but you do not have it, so you kill. How many of you want to go to a church like that where people they don't get what they want, so they, they murder others? No hands. Yeah. <laughs> well, James is not talking about little, literal murder here in this example, as far as we can tell by our study. But what James is talking about is that when people desire, set their hearts and their minds on something, and they do not get it, they kill others, not physically, but with their words, with slander. With, with ill treatment and ill will towards other, with backbiting. He's saying you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. The desire here is a desire to simply get people out of the way so that you can have whatever you want. Man, when I read James, I'm thinking, come on, James, can you throw us a bone here? Is there anything you're going to talk about that's going to, like, really strengthen and encourage us and make us walk away with a giant smile? But I feel like James is bringing us back and saying, wait, before we get into all that, let's look deep into the heart. What's driving you? What are your motives? What are those deceitful pleasures that are pulling you away from the things of God? Those are the things that are causing the animosity between you and others. But notice he says at the last portion of verse 2, he says, you do not have because you do not Ask God, I love this. He brings it back to the source. How many of you know that just desiring something is not asking for it, and is definitely not praying for it? You can desire all you want, but James is saying if you have a desire for something, don't try to get it yourself. Don't try to get it by getting others out of your way. You don't have what you want because you're not taking it to the true source. God. God. My son Joshua plays basketball, and we told him, we said, Josh, you have to have a nickname for basketball, but you have to earn your nickname. you got to get out on the court and do some things, and as you do some things, you'll get a nickname. And he goes, I already have a nickname. I said, you do? He said, yeah, it's it's the breadwinner. (laughs) Seventh grade, by the way, seventh grade. (laughs) The breadwinner. I said, you know what a breadwinner is? And he was like, yeah. I said, yes, it's the person who in the household is making the money, bringing the income in. He goes, Exactly. I so I'm the breadwinner on the court. I said, this kid is just like his dad. I like this guy, right? <laughs> Truth of the matter is he had his nickname. He was the breadwinner. He completely understood. Well, listen, the problem is with human beings, we think we are truly the source, the breadwinner. When in reality, God should be our source. He's the one who supplies and provides. Listen, he's the one that even gives us the ability to gain wealth. He is the one we should turn to with whatever we want. We stop and we say, Lord Jesus, this is a desire of mine, and this is what I love about him. When we seek first his kingdom, he not only gives us the desires of our heart, but he also helps align our desires so that our desires match his word. So now we're not just asking for things frivolously, trying to gain whatever we want for our own pleasure, but when we submit our desires to him, Now we're asking in alignment with his will. And if we ask in alignment with his will, we know we have the things that we ask for. Can somebody say amen to that? So we see very clearly, James is saying, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And you would think he would stop there, but he doesn't. Look at verse 3. Then he says, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Wrong motives means your motives are not quite right. They may be inappropriate or out of place. Now as I was studying, I was reminded as I was reading this specific verse, I was reminded of Luke chapter eight, or Mark chapter four, or Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. Many of you have heard this before, but Jesus talks about this parable and he says, uh, he's teaching this parable to the disciples and all those who are around. And he says, the sower sows the word of God. So a sower, someone who goes out to plant seed. The sower sows the word of God. And he begins to talk about different types of soil. He says, the sower sows and some of the seed falls on the wayside. The wayside is where there's kind of like the, we can say for our context, the concrete right before the grass, right? Your grass seed lands kind of in that little middle ground there where it really can't, no matter what happens to it, it doesn't have any any room to really bud and and let its roots go down. And, And eventually the sun is just going to scorch it up because it's just too hot. It doesn't have any depth there and it's going to die. But then he talks about the stony ground. It's a ground that has a little bit more dirt, but there's rocks mixed in it. And, and it may even, the seed may even begin to germinate and grow. But the problem is, because of all the rocks, it eventually begins to choke out the Word of God. Or I should say, the seed and the life. But then he goes on to talk about the good ground. That's what we all want to be. The good ground is the the soil that's been tilled and it's been taken care of and it's moist and it's ready and you put the seed in and it has all the nutrients necessary for that seed to begin to germinate and then grow and the roots can go down deep and it grows and eventually produces fruit. Jesus says some 30 times, some 60 times, and some 100 times. The disciples later on come to Jesus and say, hey, uh, what do you mean by this parable? And Jesus begins to unpack this and he says, the sower is actually sowing the word of God. So I have the privilege today of being a sower, and I'm sowing the seed of the Word of God. But Jesus goes on to say, the heart condition of the people is the soil. So when you sow, some people are the wayside, and some people are the stony ground, and some people are the good ground. And as he was doing this, what what, what jumped out to me was what he says in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. He says, the seed that fell among the thorns, this stands for those who hear the Word, but as they go on their way... They are choked by, listen to this, life's worries, riches, and here's our word, and pleasures. So they do not mature. You have to hear this today. Jesus told the disciples when they asked him about this parable, he says, you don't understand this parable? How will you then understand all the rest of the parables? There's something key to the parable of the sower. And why am I bringing this out? Because as the word of God goes forward, The condition of our heart determines how we receive it, protect it, and allow it to grow. However, in this case, when there's stones and rocks and thorns in the way, the the cares of this life, we could say, the, the deceitfulness of riches and the pleasures of this life choke God's word out in such a way that it's unfruitful in our lives. People say, well, God's word didn't work for me. And I say, well, what was the condition of your heart? James is saying, listen, you're asking God for things, but it's simply because you want to feed you. You want to enjoy the pleasures of life, but those very pleasures contradict the reception of the Word of God. And if we allow those pleasures, those items that we just simply love and can't get enough of, those those things we like to enjoy and be a part of, if we allow those to be in front of God's Word, then we allow ourselves to cut off God's Word from actually growing and producing fruit in our lives. So James is reminding us here, when you ask God, it's not about you. Pastor Marcus, how can you say that? I mean, when I pray, I talk about me primarily. (laughs) Thank you, James, for your good word here. This is awesome. Yes, a lot of us fall into that trap. But can you just for a moment imagine with me if we were people who prayed like Jesus prayed? When the disciples said, can you teach us to pray? First he said, Well, our Father, let's let's address right first who we're talking to. We're talking to God, who art in heaven, right? Notice how Jesus goes on and he he says a line in this in this prayer that I think is so important. He says, Your kingdom come and your will be done. Notice Jesus didn't say, Our Father, yeah, we got all out of the way. My will be done. Whatever I want, my pleasures be fulfilled. No, he redirects and realigns his own heart to say, no, let's make sure that when we pray, we're submitting ourselves to God's will. And James is reminding us, when you ask, you don't receive. Why? Because your motives aren't right. They're out of place. You're seeking your own pleasures, and these are the pleasures that cause you not to mature in your faith. Look at verse number four. James goes on strong. He says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, or because of this, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he is jealously, or he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us? Notice, you adulterous people, he calls us. <laughs> Again, I say, thanks, James. But why? Why is he using such harsh language? Why is he coming down so hard on the church? Because he's recognizing, listen, if you're seeking your own pleasures and desires, you have left the faithfulness of your true love and diverted your attention and affection elsewhere, just like an adulterous person would. And he's saying, listen, if that's the way you're going to live your life, then it's just like you're committing spiritual adultery against God. Now, no husband nor wife desires for their spouse to cheat on them or to be unfaithful. Now, I know in a room this size, there must be people in this room that have faced that before. My prayer would be for you, reconciliation, if at all possible, and healing of your heart. But I want you to hear this. God sees it the same way. We have to remember, he's the one that put the the, the beauty of marriage, the institution of marriage in place. And he likens it to Christ and his church. And he says, listen, you are the bride of Christ. So just as we would not want our spouses to be unfaithful to us, God doesn't want us, his church, to be unfaithful to him. He wants us to be people who loyally look to him. Even, listen, please hear me, even if we see other things that try to attract us, he wants us to focus our attention on him. He wants us to be people to say, I love you, God, no matter what, and I trust that whatever I need, you'll take care of it. And if I need it, you'll give it. And if I don't need it, I won't get it. And I'm okay with that because it's your will and not mine. Notice he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That means you're actively opposed or hostile towards God. And none of us want to be in that place. Verse number 6 says, but he gives, he gives us more grace. That is why scripture said, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Anybody like football in here? couple football lovers? Yeah, football is a lot of fun. I've never played football for a team, but I used to just play with my buddies and things. I, I'm a basketball fan. That's what I like to play. But I'll tell you this, football is really cool because everybody on the field has to do a certain role. Everyone is trained in that specific role. They know the play. They know what they're to do. But it's really cool to watch the linemen at work because it's like a consistent battle, right? Like every time, every play. When the quarterback hikes says hike and the ball is in motion, all of a sudden the ball's in play and these two lines just go at it. Boom. And they are actively fighting against each other. One is pushing, trying to get to the quarterback. The other is resisting, trying to keep them away. There's this consistent pushing and pulling and resistance going back and forth. Notice the Bible says that God is like that with the proud. He actively resists the proud. Well, listen, but he gives grace. the humble. Last year, my family went to the Great Wolf Lodge. Anyone ever been there? You may think that's a place for kids. No, I would encourage you, no matter how old you are, go. It's amazing. It's an indoor water park, so it could be freezing outside. You can still go in and have a great time. But at the Great Wolf Lodge, we were having a good time. Joshua wanted to go on this one ride. It was the, the biggest one in there. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. So my daughter Judea, not to be outdone by my son, she's like, I'll go. And then now dad is like, all my safety radars are going off. Like, is she going to be okay? Like, are we going to be good? And Star's like, I'll go. So now my whole family of four is climbing up these stairs to get to the top. We get all the way up there. And when we get up there, I'm watching the way this works. There's this giant round inner tube. And people have to stand on the scale. You can't be over certain weights. And now you're self-conscious. I'm like, man, are we going to be over the weight? Like, what's going on, (laughs) you know? Well, we finally get there. We make the weight. We get over into this this giant inner tube. And I notice that the operator grabs a water hose and he begins to spray down the track that's gonna slide us down into the ride. I said, huh. So I said, do you have to do that every time? He said, no, but sometimes it dries up because of the friction, so we have to keep it moist so that you guys can you know, easily slide down and begin the ride. And I thought, oh, okay, cool, thank you. Throw some more water on there, that's awesome, right? So he wets the thing down and we go on down the ride and everything's good. And it wasn't until I was studying this that I realized something. If he doesn't add the water, the lubrication to the slide, then there's what's called resistance. And that ride is not going to be very fun if you get stuck at the very top, because there's no lubrication to get you going. To me, that's the resistance that God is talking about. God actively resists the proud. No matter what the proud wants to do, God is against them. So he's standing there saying, oh, no, 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 no. You get no traction here. You You cannot move forward. There's no friction for you. This is going to be a difficult journey. But for the humble, he gives grace. What does he do? He gets the water hose out. And he begins to lubricate your path so that as you move forward in him, you move forward by the grace of God and you're able to do things you couldn't do by yourself. Listen, I know that some of us figure, I don't know how to be a good dad. I don't know how to be a good business owner. I don't know how to be a good husband. But when you have the grace of God because you walk in humility, he's lubricating your path and giving you grace so that you can accomplish what he called you to accomplish. This is the way the scripture tells us. James says he actively resists the proud, but he gives grace and shows favor to the humble. Verse 7 says this, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice the step here, the progression. First, submit yourself to God. Two, resist the devil. So just as God resists the proud, we should resist the devil. But notice what happens when we put up resistance against the devil. He flees from us. That reminded me of the the Wizard of Oz and the Cowardly Lion. You guys remember him? He came out and Dorothy and they're walking down the road and here comes this lion and he's growling and he's snarling and he's supposed to be this big bad lion and Dorothy didn't like the way he was treating her friends, so she bopped him on the nose. (laughs) Little old Dorothy resisted the lion. And what did he do? (laughs) You guys remember? Anybody ever seen that? He started to cry, right? He starts crying, and all of a sudden we realize, man, this guy is a facade. He has the outward appearance, but he has no heart. Listen, the Bible says when we submit ourselves then to God, we resist the devil. What will he do? He will flee from you. Pastor, pastor, help me. The devil is after you. I'll help you. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Yeah, but he's coming after me. He's tempting me with this. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. And what will he do? He will flee from you. You know what? I, I would charge you to do this. The next time the devil tries to tempt you or come against you or your family, just say these words, Lord, I submit myself to you. Father, whatever the enemy trying to do, I'm standing up today and saying, I'm resisting that. And then you know what you can do? Laugh. Laugh as the devil runs off like the cowardly lion. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse number 8 says this, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. What's happening? We're taking our time to recognize, I need God in order for this to work in my life. I need God. So, if any way that I've been focused on my own pleasures, my own, my own uh, gratifying myself, self, we could say, if in any way I'm focused that way, I'm turning my heart the other way and saying, Lord, I repent of those things. I confess those things is wrong. I'm no longer going to be double minded in my thinking, two trains of thought. I'm going to have singular focus and it's going to be on you. And as I do so, I'm trusting that you're going to be with me. James chapter 4, verse number 10 says this Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up. Verse 11 says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Look at your neighbor and say, do not slander. (laughs) Do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them. Excuse me. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But you... Who are you to judge your neighbor? Slander is literally ruining someone's reputation with false claims. In fact, one commentator says this. It says that slander is the sin of those who meet in corners and gather in little groups and pass on confidential information, which destroys the good name of those who are not there to defend themselves. And what is James saying? Do not slander one another. Speak kindly of one another do not tear others down. Verse 13 says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that or spend a year there or carry on business and make money. Verse 14, why do you not why do you not, excuse me, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is You boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. How many of you know not one of us in this room knows the amount of days, the amount of minutes, the amount of seconds that we have on the earth? Not one of us. I know some of us have hopes and desires. I want to live to a ripe old age, and I want to be on the earth this long. I want to see my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren, all these things. Those are beautiful things. But there's a place of humility that says, even in my desire for that, I recognize that it's really outside of my control, and I recognize that God is the one who knows those things. James is saying, listen, I hear you making all these plans about tomorrow I'm going to go this, we're going to go to this city, and we're going to trade, and this was normal in his context. This is, what, this is how people made money. They would, they would gather things, and then they would go to various cities and trade and sell. This was normal. But he's saying, I hear you saying these things, but instead of saying, Well, I'm going to do that tomorrow, I'm going to do this in the next day, James is not coming against planning and being responsible, but he's saying, Instead of saying things like that in such great confidence, what you should be saying is, If this be the Lord's will, this is what I'm going to do. If it be what God has for me, this is what I'm going to do. Why? To me, it's, again, a heart position. It's not pride, it's not arrogance. It's, Lord, I know that you're in control of my tomorrow. And if it be what you have for me, here's my plan. If not, then it's not going to happen. Remember, man sees the outward appearance. God sees what? The heart. What is James bringing us all back to? The same thing Pastor Zach brought us back to in chapter number three. It all comes down to the heart, the position we take before God. These things that are battling inside of us, that are causing quarrels and fights, listen, it starts in the heart. It starts in the heart. I've had too many times, and I bet you have had as well, where there's interpersonal conflict. You're, you're, you're dealing with these things with other people, and you're, you're, you're trying to figure out how to keep and maintain peace. And the question I would ask you is, are you guarding and protecting your heart? Because whatever goes in the heart determines the life. Whatever goes in the heart determines the words. So James is saying, today or tomorrow we'll go into this city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business, we'll make money, but you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. We do need to plan and prepare for the future. But our trust should not be in those plans. It should be in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Lastly, James says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. (laughs) How many of you have been in a situation like that? You know the right thing to do, but you're struggling with stepping out and doing it. (laughs) James says, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, It's sin. As we close our sermon today, I want to pray and I want to ask this question of some of us. What are those things in our own heart as it pertains to what we just read? Quarrels and fights, maybe our own arrogance in our planning and our schemes of going forward, maybe it's not trusting God but trusting in pleasures and seeking those things. What are the things? that we know our proper response should be before the Lord, but we haven't stepped out in that yet. We haven't decided to do it. We haven't decided to, whether it's come and bring those things, submit those things to him and resist the devil, whether it's to back off and say, Lord, you know what? I'm trying to live my will. Let me submit to you and live yours. Whatever it may be, what are those things that we know we need to bring to God, but we have not yet done it? The question I would ask is, why? Why haven't we done it if it's an issue of the heart today's the day to get the heart right how let's submit those things to god let's resist the enemy and let's watch him flee amen let's bow our heads today and let's pray as you're bowing your heads just take a few moments to think through i know that as i was speaking the holy spirit was highlighting some things through the text to you here's an opportunity now for you to even begin to mutter those things to the lord Lord, I recognize this, or I felt you prompting me in this area. And as I pray, I'd ask you to pray. You don't have to be loud so everyone can hear you, but just talk to God about your situation. Well, Father, we come before you today, and we say thank you again for your word. Sometimes we read various books of the Bible, and we seem like, man, this is coming down hard. But the truth is, every single one of us, we have something that. James 4 talked about going on inside of us. So Father, whatever those things may be, we simply submit all this to you. We ask that you search our hearts today. Try us. See if there's any wicked way inside of us. If there's anything that's out of alignment. Lord, if our motives are simply wrong, we bring that to you today and say, help us, realign us today. We confess any sin. We forsake those things today and we receive your mercy and your grace. Wash us clean according to your word and forgive us of those things. And then give us grace. Give us grace, Lord, to move forward in what you've called us to do. How to live like Jesus lived on this earth. So we receive your forgiveness today. We receive your grace today. And we say thank you. Thank you that we're realigned and refocused on you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's clap our hands and thank God today. <laughs> Praise God. Let's go to stand on our feet. I would ask our prayer teams to come forward. I want you to notice that as our prayer teams are making their way here, the communion tables are open up front. If you want to take communion with your family or even on your own, please feel free to do so. If you need prayer you want to go a little deeper with someone, our prayer teams are here and they want to pray with you. Let me tell you this last thing before you head out. You're going to walk out today. You're going to be thinking about this word. And I'll tell you right away, the enemy wants to steal this away from your heart. And let me tell you why. Because if the people of God walk out choosing to stay submitted to God, resisting the devil so he will flee, we will have a victorious week. Let's grab a hold of this and not let go and be victorious. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.